Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey, welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. This is a special episode because my guest today is my mother, Beverly Wilkins. Uh, my mom is not a hunter. She's, you know, not particularly outdoorsy, though she was a Girl Scout leader uh, a long time ago. But, you know, I, I feel the need to remind folks, this podcast is... Yes, it's like, you know, on the chart, it's in the wilderness or outdoor space. But really, this is designed to be a podcast about people that find their own way and that blaze their own path. And my mom's got a, you know, really interesting life. Uh, She came from, you know, very modest beginnings, uh, had a successful professional life, uh, really self-motivated and, you know, did some things in her life that were kind of against the norm, kind of left her out on her own. Like we'll talk about this. She got disowned by my grandma for a number of years. You know, she had some kind of harrowing situations and that's all stuff that has really kind of deeply influenced the way she has lived her life. And she's my mother and like one of the biggest influences in my life. And that's been super impactful for me. So uh, she's, she came down here to, to visit the grandkids uh, for what, three or four days. And here towards the end of the the visit, I asked her if she would be the guest on the podcast. And, you know, I think as a testament to how she sees herself, she, you know, at first she was kind of apprehensive. She said, what could you possibly want to talk to me about? And I said, I don't even know what I'm going to talk to you about, but you've got a really interesting story and it's been really influential towards me. And I think there are going to be folks that listen to this podcast that hopefully find that interesting and, and hopefully can can get something from her story as well. So I invite you to listen to this conversation with my mother, Beverly Wilkins. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, Perhaps one of uh, the greatest people ever to walk the earth, uh, and that's because this is my mother, one Beverly Wilkins. Uh, hello, mother. Hello, son. Uh, so you were initially asking, you're saying, what, what would I have to talk about on your podcast, Jonathan? And I <clears throat> told you that, and you know, if you listen to my podcast more often, you would know this, but this podcast is about people who make their own way in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, largely that's, I come into contact with people who have done that uh, through hunting, outdoor stuff, cooking, art, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but you know, as, I, as I reflected, uh, I thought about your story and it's absolutely 
a story about someone who has made their own way in this world. So I thought that uh, my listeners, uh, one, could you know get a lot from listening to your story and how you've navigated some things in your life because it's been a fairly eventful life. Uh, and also, you know, if anybody is, uh, you know, interested in consuming the, the content I create, the things I write, you know, these hours and hours of conversations I have with people, you know, this is, this is absolutely, you know, the, the first and, you know, one of the biggest influences in my life, uh, my mother, you know, it's been related before, but I have a picture of you on my arm here, uh, that I've had for about 20 years or so. Best tattoo on your arm. You think so? <laughs> uh, fun fact, I actually uh, I had to borrow my mom's debit card 20 years ago to pay for this tattoo. <laughs> and I don't think I ever paid you back for it. So really, it's a exercise in vanity for you to have your face inscribed on somebody's body. Yes. Could have been a better picture you used, though. This is, I think this is an excellent picture. Okay. What is your problem with it? I don't look like that anymore. That's because you're much older now. And better looking. You think so? Yes. Well, that's, uh, I, I've, I've got no opinion. I think you look great in this. Thank you. Before you didn't like it because you said because you had glasses in it and you had had that surgery and you don't wear glasses anymore. But for my entire childhood, you did. So this is what I think of you as. Okay. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes. So, your name's Beverly Wilkins. You're a retired person of leisure these days. Seems like mostly what you do is uh, chastise me for not calling you enough. But uh, what, what did you do in your professional life? You had a pretty long career. I was a teacher and a principal um, at, at elementary schools, and then I taught teacher education classes and uh, developmental reading at the college level. Okay, so you've been in education your entire professional career. Yes. There's a thunderstorm going on outside. I don't know if folks can pick that up on these microphones, but I, I feel like it's getting close, and it's pretty, pretty intense. It might rattle some things here. But so you were a teacher, uh, yeah, and then I guess... When I was a little kid, you were a vice principal, then you became a principal uh, and moved throughout some schools doing that. You worked in the St. Louis public school system. Yes. And that's a, that's a public school system that's known for, uh, you know, like a, a, a pretty wealthy student body, uh, really fancy schools, uh, the best of everything, correct? Uh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> it's, uh, it was part of the uh, desegregation court order. And it has a high percentage of poverty students. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, there's some similarities with Little Rock here. We're in Little Rock right now at my house. You've come to visit your grandchildren. As we've covered, you no longer come to visit me. It's these grandchildren I've created for you. Yes. But so, uh, if you know, if we get anything that you're just like, uh, you know, what's your... What's your little phrase? Sing another tune, Jonathan? Yes. Yeah. If there's anything you don't want to talk about, you just let me know and we'll move on. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'll be honest with you, man. I take a lot of pride in the fact that you came out of, did you say humble beginnings? Yes, I would say humble. And 
you know, be, became like what the first person in your family to go to college. Is that true? I was the only person of my sub, the first person to go to college. Of my siblings, I was the only one that graduated from high school. My mother only, she had less than an eighth grade education. Yeah. So, Nanny, uh, your mom, she came from the boot heel there in Missouri, like grew up dirt poor, right? Yeah. She lived, my grandfather was a sharecropper and they lived in a house, I guess you could call her mother, died when she was two years old. And so they lived in a wooden house that um, had dirt floors and um, were extremely poor. And then Nanny got married off when she was like how old? 14, she got married. And then had? My older brother and sister. And then um, she married my biological father. Um, And I was born 10 years after my sister, who was the youngest of those two. And she had me and my brother. And then she married my stepfather when I was 10 years old. That's Papa. Yes, and he had my younger sister. Uh, can we talk about can we talk about your childhood a little bit? Sure. So it's you and Uncle Bill, mm-hmm. right? Nanny, your biological father, right, was never really around, right? Right. He they got divorced when I was about four. Yeah, and he had his demons and his problems and stuff, right? right? Uh, and so Nanny was there in St. Louis. You know, very little formal education, mm-hmm. uh, lady on her own, and mm-hmm. what at this point, late forties, early fifties, um, middle fifties, middle fifties. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay. I'm thinking about when Dad was born. Yeah, so middle of the fifties, right? And uh, she's having trouble keeping a roof over y'all's heads. And right, she worked. Jobs. She worked three jobs. Her the main problem she had was. Uh, finding child care. And so she was afraid that the city would come and take us away from her uh, because she had to work so much. She worked, uh, some of her jobs were a dollar an hour. So um, she, there was a children's home that she knew about. And so we went there and she paid $15 a month for my brother and me to stay there because she was so poor. Um, We went home. We were the only kids who went home every single week to visit our mother. She came. She rode three buses to come to the home to get us. We rode three buses to the apartment she had. Then we rode three buses later in that same day to go back, and she rode three buses home. I didn't realize at the time that most of the kids who were there had been placed there by the court because of their family situation, um, and many of the kids that at that time were my friends, after I became an adult, I would read about them in the newspaper and some of the things they got into serious trouble for. But I didn't realize that then. Um, the majority of them were there because of court orders and not just because of poverty. Yeah, just bad stuff going on in their lives. Yeah. Right? And then mm-hmm. they get kind of set on that track and it's... It's hard to get away from that. So, but yeah, like you said, uh, you're there for how many years, you and Uncle Bill? Uh, almost five years. Okay. And then Nanny marries Papa, mm-hmm. right? Papa is this iron worker. Great guy. Yeah, really, really good dude. Uh, and we're talking about like an iron worker 
back when they'd like heat up rivets and hammer them in and they didn't wear safety harnesses or anything yeah he was i mean just like working real hard up on building skyscrapers Mm -hmm. and bridges and they lived a hard life i mean he was one of the they traveled from city to city they were hard drinking guys you know they um yeah he drank old crow and pepsi yes yes and smoked uh, smoked cigarettes camels Yes, I mean, started when he was like, what, 10 or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he started when he, during Prohibition, um, he worked in a restaurant and he would pour so- part of the soda out of a bottle and then pour bourbon into the bottle and then it would look like they were drinking just a soda at the restaurant where he worked. Um, so he started doing those things early, but he was an honest, good, hardworking man and he was the best father I could have ever had. Yeah, and so Papa married Nanny, you and Uncle Bill come home, then they have your little sister, Anne, and uh, they buy the house on Virginia mm-hmm. there in St. Louis. So you grew up you grew up in South City in St. Louis, right? When what? I was in the home, I was in North City. Okay. Um, after they got married, we lived in South City. And that's, like, that's the house that I would, like, go and visit when yes. I was a little kid. Yes. Uh and South City, you know, that was a like a working class white neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? And it was called Dutchtown because originally it was the area we were in was settled by Germans. And so it was called Dutchtown area of St. Louis in Carondelet. Yeah, so that's something like that doesn't exist really down here. But St. Louis mm-hmm. is a really old city. Mm-hmm. And it's a place where there was like, you know, Dogtown was an Irish neighborhood, the hill where it's I went Italian. to high school, that was Italian. There was Dutchtown. The Ville is where Dad grew up, and that was like all segregated. That was all black folks who lived in the Ville. And then some neighborhoods, like when a lot of Bosnians had to leave because of what was going on there, a lot of them came to St. Louis. So there's now this whole new neighborhood yeah. that is a Bosnian neighborhood. Yeah, so and yeah, that's just like an aside. So in the 90s, when uh, you know there was... Uh, the war between Bosnia, the Bosnians and the Serbs, Serbians, right? Mm-hmm. St. Louis took the lion's share mm-hmm. of the Bosnian refugees. And so they moved to the north side of St. Louis, like to the part of town that dad grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then go- they moved over in the Bevo area, which is a, a south side neighborhood too. And okay. that's where they are uh, now. Okay. Yeah, I remember when that started happening. Man, those, man, those kids were tough, dude. <laughs> like when I was in high school, those kids were tough on a whole different level. Uh, and they had a hard time because when you come from another culture, like even the younger kids, you don't think about this kind of stuff. But um, they didn't dress exactly the same as American kids. Yeah, they and could, I mean, truthfully, they moved to the hood. Right. right. Well, but where they lived in the South area was not the hood. The difference is even those white kids in that South St. Louis area would tease them and make fun of them because of the way they put their clothes together differently. Sure. I mean, they're immigrants, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, I mean, that's an interesting story in itself. But so then you grew up in South City, like I said, this working class neighborhood mm-hmm. and and. You know, almost to my mind, it's like, have you ever seen that Scorsese film, uh, A Brooklyn a Brooklyn Story? No. 
it, it just reminds me of that, right? Like, there's taverns on the corners. Every other corner was a neighborhood tavern. There's like, yeah, there's these taverns. Uh, you know, people are, th- these are modest homes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there were little corner grocery stores. Um, there was a store uh, that had been, that was there for over 50 years. Um, that was like five doors from my parents' home. And there were, the man, owner was a butcher, so my parents could get everything they needed out of this little store that was on the corner. And opposite on the other corner was the neighborhood tavern. Yeah, and so and, and you guys are eating simple stuff, right? So salads would be uh, dressed with bacon grease, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nanny grew up eating poke salad. Yes. Uh, pig brains. I well, I tried it, but I didn't like that. But she did. Yeah. We had all, we had brains. stuff like pork steaks, and we had fried chicken gizzards and biscuits and gravy, and you know. Things that she grew up with um, in the boot heel. Yeah, southern, I mean, basically southern stuff, right? Yeah, she always said she didn't know she cooked soul food till she moved to the city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so you grow up there, you go to school, you go through high school, and then you aspire to go to college. I decided when I was 11 years old that I wanted to be a teacher uh, because I was a good student. I was very quiet, which I'm not anymore, but I was very quiet when I was in school. And I was a good student. And I liked school because I was good at it. And um, the teachers would always have me help some of the other kids. And I got a great deal of pleasure from that. So I decided when I was 11 that I would become a teacher. And so that's what I did. All right. And what was your... What was your family's reaction to you wanting to go to college? They were fine with it, except my dad said that he wanted me to be a welder and be an iron worker because I could make a whole lot more money. I said, Dad, you know, I get overheated in the summer. How could I be a welder? You know, I would have heat stroke and die. And so. Oh, wait, you know what? I don't even know if we've established this. What? (laughs) That. That you are a very, very fair, fair complected uh, white lady. Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so with I, with green eyes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you're like, man, I get my butt kicked in the sun. I mean, I could sit in the shade and get a sunburn. But he was like that too, right? Like they yes. called him red. Right, because he his skin stayed red all the time for being out in the weather. I mean, but he had red hair. And- but he, I don't know why, but I got sick from it, so. He said, well, if that's what you want to do, fine. But they wouldn't help me go to college um, because they um, didn't believe, my dad didn't believe in filling out financial aid forms because he didn't think it was anybody's business. And so there was a school, a college in St. Louis, it was called Harris Teachers College then, and it was really run by the St. Louis Public Schools. And I could go to college there for $75 a semester plus books. And so I rode the bus and worked uh, at the telephone company and paid for my tuition and my books and graduated from there. All right, so then how old were you when you got married the first time? 21. Okay, so that was when you were, in, you were still in college. When you got right, married. when I was graduating from college. All right, so here's where... 
your life kind of takes a turn, right? Yes. So you've been married twice in your life. Yes. Right. Uh, and both of those gentlemen had something in common. What, what do you, would you say they had in common? They were both African-American. Both black guys. Yes. And so the first time you got married was what year? 1969. And so that was, there was nothing going on in the country. It wasn't tumultuous or anything, right? Race relations were well, they, easy. No, there we... I'm being sarcastic. No. Oh, yeah. It was... Oh, okay. I was going to say, wow. Okay. Because <laughs> My son's an idiot. <laughs> there were a lot of demonstrations. And now, interracial couples were not very common. And so there were things that happened uh, sometimes when we were in public together that were not pleasant. But, um, you know, now it's very common to see interracial couples, but not then in 1969. Uh, and can we talk about Nanny's reaction to it? Yes. So Nanny was not super pumped about that. She wasn't because she, she grew up in the boot heel and, and, uh, black people had to step off the sidewalk, the wooden sidewalk, uh, if a white person was coming by, even though her best friend growing up was this older black lady who kind of took her under her wing, but my mother was more afraid of what other people would think about it. And so I basically was kind of disowned for a while. Um, I was living in an apartment. She called the apartment and I ended up getting evicted and she tried, I had my first teaching job and she called there and the principal told her that my personal life was not her business, that she shouldn't call there again. Um, the thing that turned her around was when I had my oldest daughter, Jennifer. Yeah. And so that's like a very common narrative, right? Like yes. This beautiful little biracial, biracial child comes yes. out and then the parents melt. And, and, and it's also like a, they can see a part of themselves in this kid, right? Yes. But she also would tell people she was Hawaiian. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> because she thought her friends would uh, not want to be her friends anymore. And so for a long time, she said she was Hawaiian. Um, but the, the, my dad was never like that. My stepdad was never like that. He always was on my side. But um, they both believed that she, my daughter was just a genius and that she was going to be on TV because she was so beautiful and so smart and everything. And that turned my mother around. So by the time I married your dad... Um, she was okay about a lot of this stuff. Now, her attitude was, you know, she was about 70 then, and she said, well, if I were a woman, I wouldn't get married again. I'd just live with them because it's too much trouble to divorce them. <laughs> uh, but her, by the time you were born, she was singing a little bit different too. Yeah, I mean, I never I never knew anything about no. that when I was a kid, mm -mm. right? Mm -hmm. I just remember, and Nanny died when I was like, what, five maybe? About five. Yeah, but I mean, I remember sitting on her bed and, she had cancer back then, but she would take her wig and, like, shake it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know for years after that. That, until, it, was, that it was a wig. Yeah, I used to sit in the mirror and try and move my head, my hair the way that she did. I yeah. didn't understand how she could do it. And she kept special cookies there for when you and Julia came so that you could have those cookies when you were sitting in the bed with her. Yeah, so there was, like, this kind of monument. And, but we're talking, like, over the course, that was, what, 15 years, right? 
Probably at least. From when you first got married to when I was born, because Jennifer's 10 years older than me. Yeah. Uh, but there's like this kind of monumental shift in our family, right? Yes. Uh, and Papa and Dad always got along. Like, they liked each other yeah. real well. Well, because they both like to build things and do stuff like that. And when my mother was very ill and she was in a wheelchair, she wanted to come visit. And so I, we got her in the car and I brought her to the house. And she said, um, I don't want you to get me out. I want Hiram to help me get out. And so... Hiram's my dad. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. So she, he came out and got her. She wanted to sit in the back room so she could watch him. And you guys out there, you were building something. Maybe the treehouse or something. I don't remember. Um, but she did. She had turned around a lot. When he was substitute teaching, and if he would substitute at a school that was near where she lived, he would go and have lunch with her, which that never would have happened when I was first married to Jennifer's father. Sure. Uh, so th I think this kind of sets the, the stage a little bit, right? Uh, what's interesting to me is that, you know, for a long time, you were kind of ostracized, right, from like, what would you say, the white community? Yes, I was, um, I lost all my friends. Uh, their families didn't want them to have anything to do with me. Um, and so I ended up, my first mother-in-law was a lovely, lovely lady, and she really embraced me and loved me. And so I started attending her church, which was uh, a Lutheran church, but it was all African-American members. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's a church that we went to when I was a kid. Yes. And mm -hmm. yeah, the only white people in the whole church were you and the, the pastor. Yes. And um, that then became my life you know when I think about my life I think about my story is in black and white the first part of my life is white <laughs> the second part of my life is me and all black and I even taught at schools that were all black and I would be one of two white teachers at the school um, and then now my life is um, a mixture of people sure uh so can we go back? That's kind of laid the groundwork. Can we go back? Because, man, some of these stories you have are, are crazy. Okay. Like crazy, crazy stories, right? Mm -hmm. So there was, like you talk about some people like weren't very nice, right? Yes. And you're like out with your first husband, right? Mm -hmm. And there's like a, there's an instance when you're like at the park, this dude goes and gets a rifle, doesn't he? Oh, we went, we went camping. And we had no. Gone, wait, hold on. I'm going to get oh, to that story. But isn't oh. there isn't there a story like you're at? The oh no, we weren't at the park. We lived in this community that was very modern. It had artists, blacks, whites, teachers, and there was a bar. Wait, what? What a. Uh... It was called Laclede Town. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And there was a bar there, and so people would go and you'd sit around and have I don't know a wine cooler or something and talk, and so we were sitting there and I was in this group. And in our group, everybody was black. And there was a guy there I didn't know. And uh, he made some comments about, oh, I bet you're from South St. Louis, blah, 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 saying all this stuff to me. Um, and so the people kind of defended me. So he got up and left. And when he came back, he evidently had gone to his car and gotten a gun. Well, Jennifer's father said, uh, hey, I've got class in the morning. We got to go. And we left. And I said, what's wrong? Why did you do that? He said, because he had a gun. He went and got a gun. I saw it in his waistband. Um, 
and there were times like we would go someplace and uh, like go to the movies and somebody would take their foot and push, rub. They wouldn't do it to him. They would do it to me. They would put their foot on my back, you know, and push me and stuff like that. Or if we were walking down the street, they would yell things like, hey, in lover. I, I won't ever say the word, but um, they said, use the N word and called me an in lover, those kind of things. That was like a routine kind of thing. And I always felt kind of afraid, but nothing ever happened until the time we went camping. Yeah. that I mean, that is a wild story. Yeah. We had been camping before with a married couple and their kids and it wasn't um, anything bad, but we t- took another interracial couple and we went camping down at Lake of the Ozarks. And, um, which is where I mean, we go all the time now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I haven't been in years and years, but that's where, you know, we had a timeshare growing right, up and right. like, that's where we always vacationed. And so, um, we, we had told our friends to wait for us and they didn't, they went on down to swim cause we weren't quite ready. And all of a sudden they come back and they're in the, his car. He had a little convertible VW and his head was all wrapped up with a towel. And we thought, oh, there he goes, acted silly again. Well, what had happened was two guys from down there had driven up and saw them together and beat him and kicked him in the head and threw him in the lake. To drown him. To drown. And this lady uh, from a was there with her family and told her son to go get her husband. Um, the They were from a suburb of St. Louis and they got us back. So then um, we were going, then what happened was we were packed. We decided this is crazy and dangerous. So we're trying to pack up our tent and all this stuff. And these cars come up on the road above us and they're yelling at us. Um, and um, Jennifer's dad had, had a, th- a gun, a thirty-eight, and he had a license for it because he was in law school. And they were doing these threats, and he knew it could the bullet couldn't reach there, but he shot up toward them to let them know we had a gun. And they said, well, that's all right. When you drive through the town, we'll get you then. So there was a young couple by us, and they... Um, okay, well, hold on a second, because, like, this is an old story for you, and, you know, I've heard it several, mm-hmm. several times, right? But I don't want to gloss over this too much. But basically, I mean, this is almost like some deliverance type like stuff, Like deliverance right? type stuff, Like yeah. these good old boys come out of the woods. Mm-hmm. They see this black man, this white woman together. They put a beating on this dude so bad mm-hmm. that they think he's dead. Right. And they drag him out to the lake to drown him. Right. Right? Then they find out where we are. So then they go back and they get a bunch friends. of their buddies, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about a bunch of dudes and pickup trucks and, right. you know, just scary stuff, right? And they're sitting up on this hill above you looking down at you. Mm-hmm. I mean, telling you they're going to kill angel. us. Yeah, yeah. they're going to kill you, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, continue. So then this young couple said, you know, we can't do anything, but we'll follow you through the town. Then that way, if anything happens, we can get license numbers and we can be witnesses, that was the only, that's the only thing we had. So we were able to, we got through the town and we got up on the highway and somehow, I don't remember how, because I was so scared, we called the highway patrol and they came and we wanted them to uh, take our friend to the hospital nearby. And they said they couldn't do that. And these guys drove up in a couple of trucks 
And that, so these, uh, you know, highway patrolmen were saying, well, what happened? And so we said, you know, this is what happened. And the guy said, well, are you sure they, they uh, were in a truck? They might have ridden up on a horse or something. They were just doing all this stuff. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't there to, to right. lend you any aid. And, and, and the, the police didn't stop them. And so finally one of them said, well, he's got a gun. And so he went into his lawyer-type mode, and he got out his permit. He showed him the gun. He started writing down badge numbers and names and all that stuff. And so the cops were kind of backed up a little bit. So we left there. We got to St. Louis, got him to the hospital. And then um, they contacted the Office of Civil Rights. And uh, they went the... The seat of the county down there is at Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is not like being in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and so they went to court down there, and the guys were convicted. They got six years, but we knew they would probably only serve two or three. And um, it was, you know, it was on the front page of the newspaper in St. Louis. We had asked them not to put our address in the paper, but they did. And so I got these horrible letters uh, mailed to me anonymously, like, you're vermin, you should go back under your rock, and all that stuff. You know, those things still happen now, but it, you don't, it wasn't like back then. Yeah, there was a, there was kind of a viciousness to it mm -hmm. that people could wear on their sleeves. Right. Uh, in, in and we were out of our element also in a rural, we were in a rural area out of our element. So, yeah. I mean, cause you've spent your entire life in St. Louis. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I imagine it's one of the things that contributes to your trepidation about some of my activities. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so anyway, that was, that was like late sixties, seventies, early seventies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We come through whatever. I grew up the light of your life. Yes. Yes. Uh, never caused you any problems growing up, never caused you any stress. Pretty much a perfect child. Well, really, you didn't really cause a lot of trouble. You did cause me a little stress sometimes, but. Uh, yeah, that was probably mostly like what, in high school? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then college. Well, I didn't know a lot of stuff you were doing in college, so that helped. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, man? I was studious. Uh You know, I've thought about this a lot, Mom, in that, you know, we have this, we have this familial history, right? Like, we can kind of talk about these stories now, right? And they're, they're kind of like interesting anecdotes, right? Like, yes. we can tell stories and stuff about it, right? But really, man, that's like some super traumatizing shit, right? Yes. Uh, and I'm still not too crazy. <laughs> what do you mean? I lived through all that kind of stuff, and I've done okay. Oh, you feel like you haven't lost your mind yet? Yes. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, and I and I, I have basically a very normal life. I don't have all of that kind of stuff in my life, and I have great kids and grandkids who I'm very proud of what they've achieved. And yeah, I mean, you've got so you got one daughter who's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. You got another daughter who's a, you know, a teacher got, and school administrator. Yeah, got a doctorate, and I cook raccoons. But you had <laughs> you do other things. But are you telling you're not proud of me that I cook raccoons? No, I was proud of you. I have all the albums from your time as a musician. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And all that. 
Um, so I'm very, and you each are living the life you want to live. And that's what I always said. I wanted you to find whatever it was and that you would be happy and you could take care of yourself, <laughs> you know, and that's what you've done. And I wanted you growing up to have a lot of experiences that I was never able to have, you know, so, you know, your sister might've taken dance lessons, lessons or learned, you learned how to play an instrument and you played sports and you did all these things. I never could do that growing up. Um, so I wanted you to have lots of experiences. Did you not do that stuff just because lack of money or because your folks didn't value it? Both. And then when my sister came along, I was 13. So I then became mom's helper and babysitter yeah. and all of that stuff. Um, and they just, um, like, if there were things going on at school, my parents never came to the school. Um, I was in a performance one time when I was in about seventh or eighth grade. They never came. They did come to my high school graduation and my college graduation. They just didn't grow up with those things and they didn't value that. I was always a little bit different than everybody else in my family because I liked school. I loved reading and I still read all the time. And they just didn't quite understand that because they didn't do that. And so I wanted you and your sisters to just, I mean, you did wrestling when you were in fifth grade, you played the guitar, you played sports. We went to plays, you know, we went to performances. Your sisters did gymnastics, you did all. And I guess in a way I kind of put on you all the things I wished I could have done when I was a kid. But what it did was it, I wanted you to have all these experiences so that you could find the thing that you loved and wanted to do. Even if you didn't um, pursue it, you know? Uh, how did you, how, how did you avoid the pitfalls of, I mean, alcoholism is pretty rampant in our family, right? Yes. Um, like everybody smoked except for you. Well, first of all, I could, I could hardly breathe when I was around them. I'd have to go, we lived in a shotgun house, which is, you know, room after room in a long line. They'd be in the back in the kitchen. I'd be in the living room, and I could still smell them smoking. It always uh, bothered me. And the other thing was, um, and they used to tease me about being extra frugal. But when I saw them smoking, to me, it was just like money burning away. And we didn't have a lot of money. So to me, it was like, why are you wasting your money on this when, you know, I could have had another pair of shoes, and I'd have to put cardboard in it so that the whole... I didn't walk on the ground because there was a big hole in the bottom of it, you know, that kind of stuff. What kept you off the booze? The booze? Yeah. Um, I mean, you'll drink, you'll drink a beer from time to time. Right. But I think part of it was seeing that's really what destroyed my mother and biological father's marriage. And then he and all three of his brothers were alcoholics. And I viewed it as very terrible deaths because of alcoholism. Can we, can we actually... Can I bring up Roy for a second? Sure. So Roy is your biological father, right? Yes. I mean, he died long before I was born. When I was 22, he died. Uh, and like you said. As a result of alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> I just think the story about how Nanny met him is, uh, is, is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it is. So he was in. There's a place in St. Louis called the Workhouse. Um, it's not exactly. It's not the same as the city jail downtown. It's another location. It's like he had gotten in trouble. He had been in a hit and run accident. He didn't kill anybody, but it was hit and run, and the person was hurt or the car, whatever. He ended up in the workhouse. My mother's brother was also in the workhouse. I mean, that's, it's basically like it's like a halfway house, work release type, type thing. No, it wasn't work release. You were in jail when you were there. Oh, really? Yeah. The workhouse oh, is like jail. Oh, I thought they left jail. every day. No, no, no. They lived in the workhouse. But they just, they, they we worked? Called it, they, we called it the workhouse, but it, they didn't get out and work. They were in jail. Okay. It was okay. just a different Yeah, I'm learning location. something. Yeah. Okay, I thought it was. Yeah. And my uncle was there. Because he came home from work and found his wife in bed with their neighbors, so he threw the guy out the second floor window, and the guy broke his leg or something. So my mom goes to visit my uncle at the workhouse, and he says, hey, I got a nice guy for you to meet. And he says, he's in here with me. And it was my biological dad. Uh, and then, yeah, he, he was a hot mess. Nanny had to like hit him with a frying pan. Right. But he, the, he was super intelligent. When he was in school... He, they would have him skip grades because he was so intelligent. But in his family, his mother and father didn't drink. But he and his three brothers were all became were alcoholics. One died in a fire. My father died in a rooming house up in Chicago, where a bunch of other um, alcoholics lived. Another brother lived in the Salvation Army, but he had been drunk, was in an accident, and lost his arm. And the fourth brother committed suicide. So that just kind of said, and I all, always warned all three of you to be careful with your drinking because alcoholism and your reaction to alcohol is genetic. And so that, and plus my brother, Bill, who had the same father as me, Roy, he was in a head-on collision because he was drinking and became disabled because of it. So just knowing what it can do. Now, that's not to say that I never had a few times when maybe at a wedding reception or something, I drank a little too much. But I've, I've always been cognizant of it, and I wanted you all to be aware of it because it's probably in your body too. Did, okay, so like real, this is kind of a question I've always wondered. Uh, you know, so I played, it's, it's not a secret to anyone who's listened to this podcast before, I don't think, but, you know, I played music for a long, long time, mm -hmm. right? Like starting in high school, was in bands. And I worried a lot. Yeah. And I lived kind of hard, mm -hmm. you know, through my 20s, yes. I'd say, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that, I, you know, I didn't think about it back then, but I bet it really did just worry the hell yeah, out of Yeah, because you. when you play in, in performances and at bars and stuff. I mean, stuff, half the time they, I was getting paid in beer. They give you a lot of whatever you wanted to drink. Yeah, I know? mean, you'd be paying for a, you'd be playing for like a tab, 50 bucks and a tab. Yeah. Uh, and that worried me. Yeah. Plus, my older sister was an, even though she had a different father than me, she was an alcoholic and died as a result of it too. Her liver just gave way and we found her dead in her house. So that was bad too. Yeah. Now, look, I never, I never like went into alcoholism or anything like that. But yeah, you I, had your time. I wasn't an alcoholic. No, 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 no. You had your time <laughs> for having fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I and worked you, in bars and and you lucked out 
you know, you told me one time when I said something about uh, when you were in college, oh, you, you've done so well. In life. And you go, Mom, I just never got caught. That's what you told me. Oh, I said that? Yes. Oh, that was that was probably somebody else that said that to you, okay. not me. Uh, no, yeah, man, I didn't. I, but, you know, I always got, uh, like in high school and stuff, you know, I mean, I was, I was doing stuff that could have got me in trouble in high school. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everyone I ran with uh, got in some sort of legal trouble except for me mm-hmm. because I just, I knew there was consequences, right? Mm-hmm. Like I knew my parents weren't going to be able to bail me out of any situation. Right. Uh, and so... Uh, but I, I never, I never went, I never went too far. Let me say this. At heart, you were good. And I'll tell you why. This is, you know what? This is the, this is the quintessential uh, mother, mother's perspective. Yeah. Because you had my car and you're, you were driving and your friends were with you and you went to a party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the boys there except for you went to another high school. And um, your friend had kissed this guy's girlfriend. Drew was messing with that dude's girlfriend. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so they came out and wanted to fight. And you didn't want to fight. And so you all got in the car and you had to go down, turn around at a cul-de-sac to get out. And Man, you really remember this story. Oh, yeah, I remember it. And you threw, he threw cans and it dented my car. And so you, you get away and you guys go to a car wash and clean it. But you call me. And you said, Mom, um, I need you to be up when I get home. And I said, did you have an accident? And you said, no. I said, are you okay? You said, yes. And you came in, and you sat on the floor next to the bed, and you said, Mom, I'm just really sorry. And you told me what happened. You said, I really messed up. And I said, not in my mind. You didn't get in the fight, and you tried to do the right thing. So you didn't mess up with me at all. And so that's the way you were. Man, you know, uh, I'll tell you an interesting side note to that story. Watch that microphone, babe. Oh, sorry. Get it together here, lady. Uh, that that dude that threw that beer can, it was, it was like a full beer and like right. dented the car or whatever, right? His dad was a was like chief of police in one of those... Little towns. Just, you know, like the St. Louis is a weird town because it's, it's broken up in all these different municipalities. Right. So it's like St. Louis County is really kind of like a over a hundred separate little towns that are all connected. Right. And a lot right. of them will have their own police. Mayor, their own yeah. police. I mean, there might be four cops there or something. Right. But anyway, man, that, that kid actually like, like our senior year or something, man, he, uh, he robbed a convenience store, man. Like went to jail, like robbed a convenience store at gunpoint. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was glad he wasn't. Yeah, he, my was son. Living, <laughs> <laughs> he was living on the wrong side of the law. You were, I wouldn't have been able to bail you out. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I think that did make a big difference. Uh, but so, and some of these stories are like just, some of this I want to add some color to the to the situation and kind of flesh out some of what you came out of. Uh, but then, you know, you had a, how long did you teach for? 30, well, I actually did 31 years. I took early retirement because I had so many saved sick days. I could retire a couple years early. And then... I worked, um, at, did student teachers for mm-hmm. one of the colleges. For like another 10 years or yeah, something? Yeah, and I taught educational classes for uh, people becoming teachers. So, yeah, so you had like 40 plus years in education. And then I homeschooled my grandson. Oh, yeah, Alexander. So like basically over 50 years. Uh, 
and man had a like had a successful career. I remember when you retired from the school district, and I mean, like some of this is this is like you know kind of ceremonial, but I always took a lot of pride in it. Is that the mayor? It was Harmon at the time, right? Uh, you know, like whatever some form letter they proclamation sent. of the day. Yeah, from, man, and it's like uh, and from thank you for your service, political people, and uh, but they. There's like officially they they named a day after on the me. books. It was like a Beverly Wilkins Day in St. Yes. Louis, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what day it is? Do no. you remember? I'd have to look on. Yeah, we should find that out. When you're long gone, I'll oh, I'll light have, a candle okay. for you. Oh, thank you. On that day every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll oh, do good, that for you. Good. Uh, like two candles. Two candles. I deserve two candles. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, like, you come out of this, you come out of these like humble beginnings, right? Mm-hmm. Then you take this like crazy turn, like, you know, making these life decisions that are, that kind of set you apart at the time. Well, they set me apart because once I got out, once I got in college and I got in different circumstances, I got involved with civil rights. I was got involved in, uh, they're still my passion, civil rights for minorities and women's rights. So I've been on a bus going to Springfield, Illinois, trying to get the, um, the Equal Rights Amendment passed. I've been in, you know, demonstrations in downtown St. Louis on behalf of African Americans and rights. Those are my passion. Those were my passions as far as politically and everything. Um, and that all came out of all those kinds of experiences. I'm sorry, I'm moving around. So no, it's I right. talk with my hands. Um, Maybe I got that from you. Yes, but um, a lot of the stuff I've done in my life. Um, even working with my students, adult students, female students, you know, I've been, I've taught in schools in, in the community college, had an extension area and I would be the only white person in the building. And it just never phased me because that had become my life for a lot of my life was working on behalf of other people. So, yeah. And I mean, there's gotta be. I mean, there's got to be this influence of, you know, where you came out of. And so you have this like empathy for people that mm-hmm. maybe don't have the same opportunities as other folks. Right. Uh, coupled with this. Be- and actually being to having positive experiences with your grandma and grandpa and Jennifer's grandma and grandpa and in the black community, the way I was treated and embraced and accepted. Um, and loved and so then when I got in schools and stuff and I saw different things I wanted to work on behalf of those kids you know at one school where I worked we had kids from a a children's home and some of them had really some behavior problems but I could always relate to them and interact with them because I could give them my story and so then they didn't feel that I was judging them like other adults in the school did all right, so that was a bit of an awkward drop-off there. It took about 15 minutes because uh, you were in the middle of this really impassioned description of what inspires you to, mm-hmm. to live the life that, that you've lived, and uh, the batteries ran out. Uh, but I was able to get you an Almond Joy. That's my favorite candy bar. Yeah, while I was at the store. I didn't mean for you to eat it. While right we were now. trying to finish the podcast, Mom. Okay. If you could just hold off on that. All right. Uh, you know how I know you're an old lady? How? Because you eat Almond Joys. No one 
ever eats almond joys? Somebody must because you can still buy them. I guess so. But, man, I've never seen anyone besides you eat an almond joy. I love them. I like other candy, but I like Was them. coconut a rare commodity when you were a child? When Exotic? My, no. Uh, when my grand, uh, my fa- biological father's mother lived with us for a while, she lived in the basement. And she was blind. And she always had a big jar of coconut. And so maybe I associate that with... Coconut? What do you mean, a jar of coconut? Like, you know, she would have a bag of coconut down in a jar. Oh, like so shred- you could just shredded, shredded coconut? So you could just go get coconut out. Oh. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, yeah, you were, you were saying that... Well, all these experiences that I've had <clears throat> growing up, um, as, a, my, as I've come through adulthood, both positive and negative, have been positive for me in a way because they've helped me um, have goals, you know, that I wanted to be able to do more for my children than my mother was able to do for me because she didn't have an education. You know, I when I was about six years old, I um, made the decision then that I was going to go to school because my mother worked in factories, you know, no air conditioning, not horrible, worked by ovens and stuff like that. And one time we were walking along the street and she just fainted. And the other thing she did was... Just uh, from exhaustion? Yes. And the other thing she did is she only ate once a day. So there would be enough food for my brother and me to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so I looked at that and I said, I don't want to ever suffer. If I have children, I don't ever want to suffer the way my mother is suffering to take care of my children. I made that decision when I was about six or seven. And that's why I always wanted to go to school. And so all these experiences have given me empathy for other people. It made me a better teacher. It made me a better mother. The one thing I absolutely knew was that my mother loved me and that she was doing the best she could. And I wanted my children to know that I love them unconditionally and that I will always be their number one fan and that whatever they want to do as long as it's pretty legal I will support them <laughs> in that. but um, I think it all that stuff helped me make myself who I am today you know there were times that I just had to go things alone you know because of decisions that I made Yeah, man. I mean, look, I we're not trying to make this too mushy of a podcast, but I never, ever, ever doubted you loved us. Uh, absolute best mom I could have possibly asked for. Uh, and even when you accused me of saying things that I didn't say, like you effed up. Mom, this is a family <laughs> podcast. No, it's not. You did. But just so you know, you did say that to me. Uh, but, but I still in, loved you. But in fairness... You had. I had, yes. (laughs) So, I mean, but you did say that to me. Uh, Has has it ever given you any pause or trepidation that, I mean, let's let's just be honest about it, right? I I was kind of like the quintessential in high school and college. I was like the quintessential uh, 
like not living up to his potential kind of thing, right? right. Like I was skipping school and even your first couple years of college. Yeah. Uh, and but I never doubted you. Well, yeah, but just hold on a second. Okay. You can you can hang on with the cheerleading for a second there, mom. Okay. You know, and then we move in to just playing rock and roll mm -hmm. and working just job like basically dead end jobs, right? Like working in kitchens mm -hmm. and roofing houses, like just doing pawpaw stuff, right? Right. Like just super hard work, not getting paid very much. Uh did that did that give you like a lot of just agita? You know what agita is? It's like an Italian word, you know, just like pain in the heart. It did. But because I was worried, but I absolutely knew that you would find your way and you would find the thing that you really wanted to do and you would be okay. Are you happy with what's going on now? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I mean, I love it. I live through it. I save all the articles you write. I do all the things a mother does. I share your podcast with people. I share your Instagram. Yeah, you, you're like, you're... Uh... I go get my hair done and... While we're sitting, my friend and I are sitting there listening to your podcast. I mean, that is, that's a sweet thing. Like a couple of older ladies sitting there listening to me talk about Well, you know, I share stuff with her husband. He looked at your catfish video on YouTube and all that stuff. I mean, look, if anyone has any doubts that my mother is my biggest <laughs> fan, they've been alleviated through this podcast. You can't help yourself. Uh, but no matter what you were doing, whether it was on track or not, and when you hadn't finished something that I really wanted you to finish, I threw in a little bit saying it pained me when I would write the check to pay off the loan for college every month. That kind of tugged at my heart uh, when you hadn't done it. But I knew, I knew you would do it, and you did it. Yeah, you helped me with them student loans. I appreciate it, Bev. And, and the thing is, I mean, this is what I said to your dad. Each person, each one of the kids has to find their own way. They have to find the thing that they want to do. They're going to make mistakes along the way, and that's okay. That's how you learn. My life is what helped me learn to be who I am today. So what is your, what is your fear when I'm driving around living in a van or camped out in the woods trying to Kill a black bear. That some good old boy is going to come and shoot my son. And he's going to lay out there for five days before anybody finds him. That's my fear. And that's, you know, I was thinking about this when I was running across the street to the store to get those batteries. Like, I mean, that's a real fear for you. And it's very much informed by the experiences you've had in your life. But it's also informed by what's going on in the country today. We're not, we, we try not to get too, uh, too involved in politics here on this podcast. Oh, sorry. Though. Well, I'm a political person. Sorry. All right. Just relax. Okay. okay. Just calm down. Eat your almond joy there. Buddy. I am. Uh, I want to get back to the, to kind of start wrapping it up here. I want to get back to the, the idea of like blazing your own trail. Mm -hmm. Because even though this, like this podcast is, this is a non-traditional Black Duck Revival podcast, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we're really, man, we're like putting a lot of our family stories and stuff out there right for the world to uh, to consume or you know judge or whatever right right but it's 
just like the older I get and kind of the more now that I have kids, you know, it's like this cliched path, Mm -hmm. right? Like now that I have kids and I'm looking at them and like how I'm going to influence them. And I look at the influences that have put me on the trajectory that I'm on in my life. Uh, that's that's always been a big thing in our family, right? Like kind of the two, maybe not the two, but the big things in our family, I feel like, have always been like family is very important. Uh, education has been like super important, right? And that's because education is one, the, one of the major things that made a difference in my life. Yeah. Uh, and then like a level of social responsibility. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, like we have... We have a responsibility to people beyond our own circle, right? Uh, and beyond ourselves, even people we don't know <clears throat> who yeah. are suffering in some way yeah. or need help. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm doing some of that. Uh, Jennifer and Julia definitely do that with their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you absolutely <clears throat> did that with your life, and like I watched, I watched you impact people's lives, you know, over and over and over and over again. You know, uh, and I watched you, you know, I watched you uh, put yourself second in a lot of circumstances to facilitate, you know, other people having a chance and other people having an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's it's been a hugely influential force in my life. And even though I've kind of come out a bit rougher around the edges, right? You know, like I, I think there was... There was probably this hope, especially with dad, you know, there was this hope that I would be kind of more of a uh, traditionally professional person. Uh, Look, I said to him, I didn't care if you became a farmer or whatever you became. You didn't have to be a doctor. You didn't have to be a lawyer. But whatever you did, you had to be happy doing it. And I believe that. And I believe you're happy with what you're doing now, with all the hunting and the riding, and I mean, and yeah, everything. relatively. I mean, I mean, if we're being honest, you know, I, I'm plagued with self doubt, and there's all this stuff that I feel like I should be doing more of. But everybody does. Yeah, but overall, yeah, I I, I do. I like what I'm doing. Uh, I get a lot of fulfillment out of it. Uh, it's cool to hear from other people that you know there's stuff I do that resonates with them, or right. I wrote, or whatever. Or they learn something from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really what I think is cool too, man, is and this is like such a simple thing, but I really like that you're, you know, that like you look forward to, to getting venison, you know, mm-hmm. every year that you, like you're at home and you're cooking that for yourself. Uh, and I like to shock people. Like I have this friend on Facebook and he'll put up stuff for he and his wife. We're having this for dinner. What did you have for dinner? And I go, oh, I had mountain lion today. I'm at my son's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, there is a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a wow factor, but. Yeah. Yeah, you can't put, like, something like that, because most people are all right with eating venison or yeah. rabbit or a duck, because they have some kind of familiar farmed analog but to it. But Not squirrel or. Yeah, mountain lions, black bears, mm-hmm. raccoons. Have I given you anything else, like, particularly weird? Beaver. I had that beaver. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's probably about as weird as it's gotten, right? Mm-hmm. But probably the biggest outlier in all of that was that mountain lion. Yeah. And I admittedly, I didn't I didn't get that mountain lion myself. So a, a buddy of mine in Utah gave that to me when I was up there last year, elk hunting. But uh, yeah, man, just this idea that like there's this big world, right? 
Yeah. And and I look at what I've been able to do, like I taking these weird these weird uh you just cannot leave that almond joy alone, can you? No. I should have waited until after this podcast <laughs> to give it to you. Uh I'm not talking, so <laughs> you know the microphone still picks up okay. when, when you're eating stuff, Mom. Uh but yeah, man, like I just think about like being up on a mountain in Utah mm-hmm. or being in some dive bar in in Colorado, you know, years ago, or house shows in Ohio, like the guy Brian uh, who edits this who edits this podcast. Like I've known we've been friends since high school, and like me and him have. I remember us going to see a, a punk rock show, and it was right there on the border of like Ohio and Kentucky, right? And then I played a house show uh, to maybe like five people, and it, it you know it's. On, on one level, it's it's like we went to Ohio, saw some rough uh, punk rock show. You know, I played to to nobody. We got real drunk. Uh, but on another level, too, it's like this story that, I mean, only good stuff happened on the trip. It was super fun. It was super cathartic. You know, and I think about <laughs> this dude, when I say at the end of the podcast, you know, that's produced by Jonathan Wilkins and Brian Sachs. Like, really, if you think about it, man, like, Jonathan Wilkins and Brian Sachs have been producing stuff right. for what, 25 years together? I remember that first YouTube video, American Man, and when you played at the place in St. Louis and you were all dressed in costumes like skunks. and. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we played, we played in a band. Me and Brian played in bands together yeah. a bunch of times, different incarnations. Uh, but yeah, absolutely just having kind of the chutzpah to go your own way. It's been very much influenced by you. So that's really why I wanted to have you on the podcast because uh, it's kind of like an inside peek, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we're all gaining influence and and just courage from all these right. different forces in our life, right? Uh, and yeah, you've been a big one for me. So, And I would say to anybody listening, if there's something you want to try to do, you should try to do it. The worst thing that could happen is it doesn't work out, you know, and then you go, oh, well, I learned from this. That's the thing. I've always said, whatever happened to me, what did I learn from it? Like when I wanted to be a principal, I worked under a person who never went out in the schoolyard, stayed in the office all the time. I remember that guy. He was a jackass. And and I, what I learned from that was what I did not want to do. So when I became a principal... I did all the things that I thought he should have done. And people would come and tell me how, what a great principal I was. You don't have to be in the yard all the time. We'll be out there. You know, we got your back. But from negative things, you can learn the right thing to do or the thing that's the best for you. And just try something, even though it seems really hard. It might take you a while to get there. But, you, I mean, that's the thing about making your way in this world is trying things and finding your way. And you're still out there learning and doing mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, you went to the Galapagos Islands mm-hmm. a couple years ago before COVID went down. Uh, did some Europe traveling. I go to St. Louis, one of the universities, has this whole speaker series where they bring people from all different kinds of backgrounds, art, political, uh, historians, I go to those and I learn something every time. What's your next big adventure that you're planning? I thought, well, you were- well, I wanted, I, I was going to go to 
uh, Tanzania, but instead I'm going to go to Dublin and Scotland. Okay. And then maybe hopefully get to go to Tanzania after that. Yeah, sorry. You threw a wrench in the trip. Yeah, having this, we're having a kid now. Yeah. Uh, when you were supposed to, you and Marianne were actually going to go right. together. But we'll have like a three-week-old right. when, when that trip was supposed to take place. So I want to go to Dublin and and Ireland, and I'd like to go to Tanzania. I want to go to the Serengeti. I want to see all the animals and all that. Not in a in a hunting scenario, just no. Just I, no, I will do a photo safari. Yeah, well, you can do the other hunting. Kind. Yeah, I'm not really. I, I really have no interest in hunting in Africa. That's a that's a bigger conversation we can talk about. One day I'll do right. a podcast on it. But uh, yeah, I've got. I, I don't have any interest in going over to Africa. To hunt. No, I just want to see. I've always, lo- I mean, from the time I was a little kid, I loved animals. I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I. Didn't have the money to go to vet school, so I became a teacher. And I taught my kids about animals and science stuff, my students. So. Yeah, you were a science teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, shoot, I guess we got to get these kids fed here. It's going to be bath time here. Uh, I hope your soon. listeners don't think this was too weird of a conversation. Uh, no, man, I've got, a, I've got an eclectic oh, bunch of people that listen to it, man. I, I think there'll be folks that take something away from this. Uh, and they, they might say, well, no wonder Jonathan's the way he is. <laughs> yeah. If they don't like it, I don't care either, man. Right. right? Yeah. Like, uh, this will be cool, too. Like I told you, this will this will be like a cool thing to. For the kids. Yeah. Just it's good to have some family history out there. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, well, thanks a bunch, Mom. Love you, son. Love you, too. Thank you for listening all the way through to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. You can find me on Instagram at Black Duck Revival. Uh, That's the the handle there. You can go to the website. That's BlackDuckRevival.com. I've got just a few spots left on a speckle belly goose hunt at the end of the year. I believe it's the December 29th, or no, December 30th through January 1st. We'll chase speckle belly geese. Uh, I'll teach you all about uh, wax plucking them, mechanically plucking them, dry plucking them. We'll do a couple days of cooking classes. We'll eat fantastic meals. We'll hang out with really awesome people, uh, and we'll have a ball. So if you're interested in something like that, please take a look on the website. And also stay tuned, man. I'm, I've kind of been, I've kind of gone dark on uh, social media for the last month or so just handling things and working on some new projects but uh, all will be revealed hopefully uh, here in the, the near future so as always folks thanks for listening to the podcast please if you uh, have not taken a minute to do so subscribe on apple or spotify wherever you listen to your podcast leave a review uh, written or just like a five-star review helps tremendously and uh, please tell people about this podcast. I, I really do think that we have been able to kind of amass this super interesting and eclectic collection of people uh, and have really heartfelt, honest conversations with a lot of them uh, and it's wide ranging topics. So if that's something that you like and you appreciate, do me a favor, leave a review, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell an acquaintance, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.